Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today we're discussing the Klinger Cohen Act of 1996 and whether it's a good idea for the Defense Department to be exempted from the law or whether all federal law governing IT just needs to be modernized. The Section 809 panel recommended to Congress that the Pentagon should no longer have to follow the 23-year-old law. I spoke with former federal IT executives and DOD officials to gauge their opinions, starting with Dan Chenuck, a former OMB official who worked on the Klinger Cohen Act implementation and on writing the E-Government Act of 2003. Dan is now an executive director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. When you saw or heard that the 809 panel had recommended uh, exempting DOD from Klinger Cohen, what was your initial reaction? I think their analysis of the issues around Klinger Cohen implementation and the uh, burdens that those issues have um, have brought forward in terms of acquiring modern information technology w- w- was spot on. They did a ter- terrific job, if you actually read the report, in laying out the issues um, in the DOD directives and the, and the manner in which ClearCoin has been implemented. Uh, where I think the, the recommendation uh, may be a bridge too far is in the recommendation to entirely exempt the department from the ClearCoin Act for a couple of of reasons. It remains a commercial best practice that CIOs drive technology at the infrastructure and application level uh, in an organization. And also that, you know, recent statutes, as as the report laid laid out, including FATARA and MGT, have reinforced the the import of the CIO, although FATARA does exempt DOD from a number of its provisions. And Clinger Cohen remains the foundational statute that sort of authorizes the CIO. The final thing I'd say is that having thought about it, I, I think that there is certainly room to modernize Clear Cohen and, and continue the evolution that FATARA and the Modernizing Government Technology Act, and I would add the Government Act, have made in terms of the CIO and its authorities and, and responsibilities. Modernizing the statute is different from exempting the statute entirely. Dan, one thing about the 809 panel recommendation is it seems that it's not just a, a looking at technology only. I mean, because of the focus of the panel was acqu- so acquisition heavy, are they missing something about maybe the CIO's role and are only looking at it from an acquisition perspective and not the broader perspective? Well, I think they looked at acquisition, the panel, in the context of the broader enablement of the DOD mission. I think in the case of the Klinger-Cohen discussion, they did an excellent job laying out the requirements that cause a lot of delays in the acquisition process at, at the department, the 11-step checklist, the, the various different directives that are more about implementation in terms of acquisition and procurement process and less about overall technology management. And, um, and I think that an approach that would work within the department to sort of do a, almost a, a work breakdown structure, if you will, uh, of those processes and, and a simplification exercise to see what do you really need to do to acquire technology and could probably lead to significant improvement in the time um, that it takes to acquire emerging technology and bring it into the mission space um, without sacrificing a lot of pro- program integrity or, or introducing a lot of risk. And what you're talking about here in many ways is that during the implementation of Klinger Cohen, and I think not just at DOD, but really across the entire government, it's been, you know, 23, 24 years. There's been a layer of a layer of layer. And, and maybe as OMB is doing is rescinding old policies from Y2K, rescinding old cyber policies that have been overtaken. Maybe DOD just needs to do kind of a policy effort to, to get rid of the old ones and modernize some policy versus just 
getting rid of Klinger Cohen wholesale. Yeah, I think that that would be a, a more tailored response to the very legitimate problem that they articulate in the report. And uh, I think that, that the, a, an empowered CIO working with a modernized statutory structure, a sort of a modernized Claire Cohen, um, could be a great asset in the, in, in the understanding of how to modernize that, that procurement cycle to bring in new technology. When you would talk about modernizing Claire Cohen, what types of things stand out to you as, as areas that still are ripe or, or need to be addressed? The Claire Cohen did a, a tremendous job, and, and the report points this out in laying the foundation for an enterprise chief information officer. In the implementation of the statute, that has been sort of mixed in terms of how agencies have positioned the CIO, and this is beyond a DOD. It's, it's I think, all, all agencies. And, and in an enterprise as large as the Defense Department, it gets, it gets very complex. So stating more clearly the, the governance roles and responsibilities of the CIO, um, both in the information technology acquisition realm, as Fatara did, but also in the, in the realm of management. And again, I think Fatara provides a good guide. If you think, think about sort of taking the text of Klinger Cohen and integrating it in ways that were, were shown by EGov and Fatara and the MGT Act would be one route to show sort of points that CIOs can look at leveraging commercial technology effectively and also working with their brethren management officers, CFOs, chief acquisition officers, chief human capital officers, and, and program management leaders uh, more effectively. So I guess two areas. One is is uh, linking with their functional um, uh, counterparts more effectively as, as a private sector company would as part of a strategic management team. Um, and two is sort of providing greater mission support, um, both of which are, if I think about the best CIOs that I've observed in government and the private sector, they've really gotten both of those elements uh, correct. And Claire Cohen really only speaks to the CIO as opposed to the CIO as, as part of that broader complex. And Fatara really just looked at this from the CIO perspective, authorities around IT acquisition, IT budgeting, but again, not necessarily around, and, and a little bit on IT hiring, because they, they would be in charge of other CIOs in their department, but not necessarily the whole kit and caboodle of hiring cyber people or hiring, for instance, IT program managers. And, and, and that's where you're saying that maybe that's the next evolution of, of legislation that maybe is needed? That's one piece is thinking about the complex array of responsibilities that a CIO in a leading organization would have and looking at the statutory framework. And I think Clear Cohen has a foundation but could be uh, modernized to reflect that, that trend. That's within the IT area. Um, as you say, uh, Fatara does affect acquisition, budgeting, personnel, finance um, to some extent, but also thinking about the CIO as a member of the strategic management team. And some of that um, OMB is included in, in its policy guidance, including A130, uh, along the way. Uh, but I think there could be some language that would reflect a more modern statutory framework as well. And I was actually going to go down the path next because OMB has also tried through executive orders and policy over the last decade or 15 years even to give CIOs more authority in the realm you're actually talking about through policy. And and it's been, again, I guess, hit or miss. And maybe that's why that the legislation is maybe in your eyes needed, because the policy side, the, regula the regulation side, maybe just hasn't been uh, either strong enough or people just haven't taken it too hard enough. The statutes have left room for OMB to issue policy directives that go in the direction of, of sort of enterprise, what I'll call enterprise collaborative technology governance led by the CIO, but involving um, partners uh, in the security area, the program area, the finance area, uh, et cetera. And without 
suggesting those statutes should get so specific that you wouldn't be able to sort of adjust policy as realities go forward. I think it would be uh, beneficial to cut, to update the statutory framework, tie these statutes together, and sort of lay out in broad scope in sort of a single ma- comprehensive management framework the, the roadmap for, for CIF to take that OMB has articulated through guidance. And I, I would add the DOD has attempted to articulate through its guidance over the years. One of the things that occurs to me as you're kind of going through this is we talk a lot about the Klinger-Cohen Act, but many times we don't, for instance, say well, the CFO Act of 1990 needs to be updated, or we don't talk about, I don't think there's a Chico Act, but I think there was a bill to create the Chico uh, that was buried in somewhere. We don't talk about those things. Do you get a sense of why this CIO role, we continue to go back for it? The changing nature of technology is a key driver. Financial management has been a, a key element of organizations for thousands of years. The internet and, and uh, the advent of, of new technologies is, is changed rapidly over the last two decades and will continue to do so and accelerate uh, in that uh, level of change. And so any statute is going to uh, need to either be flexible, principles-based, and at the level of sort of roles and responsibilities in order to allow for that flexibility to be adapted and implemented, or will need to be updated. And that's why I think you're seeing uh, oftentimes the discussions that we've had over the last couple of decades around modernizing the Clinger-Cohen Act, which I think have really were discussed during the EGov Act um, uh, implementation. Were discussed or, or drafting. Were discussed during the drafting of FATARA uh, and MGT. Uh, continue to be an issue. Dan, is one option potentially just rewriting Klinger Cohen and, and adding it into FATARA? Just the section that establishes the CIO as the business partner. I mean, do we need a whole new statute, or do we need maybe just a new section that can be tucked into FATARA? You know, when I think about statutes that I've worked on, both both within OMB in terms of you know staff support to to drafting processes with congressional staff and also as a sort of being involved as an outside uh, advisor through advisory committees and, and informal efforts and et cetera. It's to try to take the key. It's almost like you, you sort of re-outline what are the key elements of the statute that you need, and then look at the other statutes. And I would I would probably line it up against eGov the EGov Act, FATARA, and the MGT Act, and I'd probably have another column for FISMA and uh, and related security statutes, and almost put together this sort of outline of here are the key provisions of the laws, and then rather than sort of do a, just tuck in a, 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 tuck in an element of clear cone under FATARA, sort of I don't know what's the what's it which one is the headline, but sort of create a, a new a new technology management statute that would bring in the best elements of each of those statutes into a new frame. Now, FATARA being the most recent sort of comprehensive CIO authority statutes, it may be as a, as a tactical matter the most effective route to put those in underneath a FATARA set of amendments. I know there's another uh, bill that has, was introduced and passed last, the, I think it passed the House last year from Congressman Hurd and Congressman Kelly around uh, modernizing the federal CIO authorities, and that could be another vehicle. So that, so the, I think the tactics are key, but, but from a strategic perspective, I think it's important to get the content right in terms of what are the key elements that you draw from all of those statutes. Dan Chenuk is the executive director for the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Dan, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Jason. 
We have to take a break. Today we're focusing on the Clear Cohen Act and the Section 809 panel recommendations. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Everyone knows that even good people fall on hard times. Your credit. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today we're focusing on the Klinger Cohen Act and the Section 809 panel recommendations. In this segment of the show, I talked to Bill Greenwald, a former Senate Armed Services Committee staff member and former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Industrial Policy. Bill is now a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. As you read through the 809 panel and you, and you saw that uh, recommendation, what were some initial thoughts? When I was at uh, the Armed Services Committee last, we tried to tailor the Klinger Cohen Act in, uh, in, in such a way to minimize kind of some of the bureaucratic legacy damage that was being done to some of the national security systems. And so kind of going from there, yeah, there are, there are some parts of Klinger Cohen that probably need to be reviewed, and I think the 809 panel is, uh, is doing a service in, in raising that. However, I think there are, are a lot of things in there that really have never really taken off. The culture hasn't changed, and uh, it would be a mistake to completely eliminate the uh, impact of the Clean Killing Act on the Department of Defense. Now, you said there are some things that, that you need to deal with. Maybe could you go through some of those things that, that stood out to you? As the 809 panel is, is saying, you know, there was not a need for speed. There was not a need for a time-based acquisition. It was kind of caught up in the management uh, process of, culture of the time, which was to basically use the budget process and the capital planning investment control process, the idea of performance measures, and so on. All of those factors in perhaps the business world don't take a lot of time, but when applied uh, to government systems and practices, end up you know becoming a, almost a bureaucratic nightmare if you're trying to actually buy something for speed. And if we are actually facing a new threat environment, which is you know unlike anything we 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 saw in the Cold War, then yes, yeah, speed becomes important, and there's a need to look at some of these uh, processes and uh, perhaps make uh, some some changes that the 809 panel is uh, considering. One of the things that uh, I thought about was we have had three really major laws and maybe a fourth that's on the way that really have, have kind of tried to kind of update bits and pieces of this idea of a CIO. We, we obviously, E-Government Act of 2003, we've had FATARA, we've had the MGT, now there's the Federal CIO Authorities Act that's working its way through Congress as well. And, and the, so do you think that any one of those could just say, okay, we're going to take the parts of Klinger-Cohen that still are relevant today, that still kind of need to be in law, and kind of move them over to FATAR, move them over to this new Federal CIO's Authorities Act, and then we can kind of get rid of the rest of it that maybe has, has is showing some age? Uh, I mean, that's, that's one option. I think probably the better option, uh, because DOD and the in- Intel communities uh, – uh, are uh, you know ha- have a different requirement uh, as far as uh, again uh, time and, and and speed to uh, procurement. Uh, I think it's probably better to to do that in Title Ten uh, and and make the modifications to to uh, the exemptions and so on from Klinger Cohen from, from from there. But still, I, I think there are uh, there there are, there are several things. That none of these uh, uh, CIO acts or or, uh, or FATAR or whatever really 
uh, uh, focused on, and that is the 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 uh, underlying premise of Klinger Cohen, which was to embrace commercial solutions and practices, to benchmark the commercial marketplace, and to essentially re-engineer. Uh, government unique processes uh, uh, to to make them more efficient, and I, I just haven't seen that as the ultimate goal. It's kind of it's all of these different processes, all these different uh, uh, legislative uh, constructs seem to just focus on this carrying on this government unique way, and I think that is also actually also where uh, the eight or nine panel falls short. I don't think they're really focusing on the reengineering and you know the, the aspect of Claire Cohen, which is information management. You know, using information as a as an enabler for for better government and and, and national security purposes. And we, we've seen this using information as an enabler time and again, whether it's GPRA or whether it's now the Evidence Based Policymaking Act and GPR modernization. Do you get a sense that that's just a there's something about government that 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 stops that from kind of getting the foothold and really making a difference? That's a that's a huge question because I think the individuals in government can do the right thing. But I just just when when we when we bring performance management in, when we bring some of the you know the, the existing budget process as, as a tool of uh, control, it leads to just an extension of, of time and an extension of, of bureaucracy and and, uh, and and so we might actually have to kind of look to and I think 809 started to touch on this as well. Uh, it's on. Ultimately, this all may hinge on budget reform. This all may hinge on the way we actually budget for information technology. And we're kind of picking it around at the edges, but we really need to get to the point is if we want to go speed and time to procurement, you know, the budget process is not the most nimble thing we've got. Right. Just a little bit of an understatement when we talk about budget and (laughs) nimble. Bill, when we talk about modernizing Clinger Cone as well, and I think we have to broaden this out. I mean, this applies not just to the DOD side, which I know the Section 809 panel focused on, but really there's a modernization need probably for Clinger Cohen. Uh, for, for civilian agencies as well, uh, if you think about FATARA, and FATARA really focused on the budget side and focused a little bit on the HR side, but there's still pieces of Clinger Cone that maybe hasn't really been a, a, met the spirit and intent of the law. Where would you also would like to see more modernization happen of the Clinger Cone Act? What pieces or parts that maybe have changed over the last 22, 23 years? Again, we're, we're seeing that the, the way the IT architecture portion of it the way uh, capital planning and investment control processes has evolved, the way the performance-based and results-based management process evolved. I think all of those need to, you know, we, we need to probably start with a clean slate. But I do think, and, and if you look at the way the current DOD CIO is attacking issues related to information security and relating to how we buy software for not only embedded systems and uh, but business systems as well. How the the NDA of 17 gave the uh, the DoD CIO authority over DISA, uh, over the uh, security standards uh, setting uh, function at at, uh, at NSA and and so on. These the, this is essentially the thing that Clinger Cohen missed, which was we bifurcated national security systems and business systems, and the reality is. Information is an enabler. It is it, it, not only an enabler, but it is, it is a an aspect of warfare. And and the blurring of the lines between the two may have uh, been uh, a, a needed political 
necessity in, in uh, 1996, but is now something that we really need to focus on, particularly when spectrum is and, and information is the a real resource in uh, in war fighting. When you look back over the last you know 22, 23 years, and again, we don't need to relitigate or redebate the the value. Do you get a sense that Clinger Cohen has made a big difference, but there's still the shortcomings and and taking DOD or for that matter any agency giving them an exemption from it would 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 just not would still prolong the problems that you all saw back you know again 22 23 24 years ago there are, are things that DOD never really got never really started or embraced that were in Klinger Cohen and uh, so I, I I think that if we were to to get rid of that I think we would be you know uh, letting kind of the forces of reaction declare victory at the same time I think there are things in there that have become too bureaucratic that uh, probably need a reset that uh, DOD should probably be exempted from, and then we should take a look at what's happening actually in the civilian side, and is any of that applicable, and if it's worthwhile, apply it back to DOD if it has any value. But I think the problems that DOD has not come to face yet is with the, 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 this commercial revolution in IT, it just has not been able to get its arms around that. It keeps saying it's, 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 it's too different and so on, but, but you know, software is software, and, and the way you develop certain types of IT are the same, whether it's a national security system or a business system, the issue becomes what type of security structures do we need around it. So I, I think there, there's, there's a need to bring in a, a, a kind of the original vision of Klinger Cohen, but uh, if we can... Uh, uh, adopt it for the for the new age uh, and, and the new potential great power uh, competition that we're entering. Uh, I think that's 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 where we need to go. All right, very nice. Bill Greenwald is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and former professional staff member at the Senate Armed Services Committee. Bill, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We have to take a break. Today we're focusing on the Clear Cohen Act and the Section 809 panel recommendations. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, we're focusing on the Klinger Cohen Act and the Section 809 panel recommendations. In this segment of the show, I talked to Dave Winnegren, a former DOD Deputy CIO and Deputy Chief Management Officer at the Pentagon. He's now Managing Director at Deloitte. Give me a sense when you first heard that and saw that recommendation, read what they said, what was your initial reaction and, and some thoughts? I do think it's a case where the headline, you know, may not tell the whole story. And so, you know, the, the 809 panel, now up to volume three of their reports, have come up with a lot of really awesome ideas about how to improve acquisition for the Department of Defense. This particular recommendation, number 44, I'll say has gotten a lot of attention in the press and elsewhere because of the thought about, you know, what does it mean for if Claire Konak goes away, is that like the death knell for CIOs? And, and I think it's important to take a second and just sort of probe into what the 809 panel is talking about, because at the heart of their recommendation is this thought that, um, I'll say, paper based compliance processes, like the Clear Act checklist, you know, may not be the way, particularly in a place like DOD, which already has such a very robust acquisition process. These compliance processes may be layers on and not get to the heart of the issue of how do you do more modular, agile contracting to make a difference in the time frame when technology is changing rather than with long lag times. So at the heart of their recommendation also is the idea that you know, Clear Cone Act is 
I'll say back in the last millennium, a great piece of legislation at its time, but since then we've had EGov, FISMA, FATARA, MGT, and so there's all sorts of additional legislation and guidance around CIOs since the enactment of CCA. And that's a that's a key point that I've heard time and again when I, as I've talked to other people is there's been all these is layers after layers after layers. So it's not so much that maybe Clinger Cone is good or bad or doesn't work or works, but the process by which CIOs are involved in the discussion, CIOs have oversight over the, the budget or the technology or the projects, that's gotten too thick. And, and it's not just a DOD, but you could probably argue, make that argument across all of government. Yes, I think you're right. And it's an interesting time for Congress to actually think about 20-plus years into this revolution that changed the way, the way we look at federal agencies and information technology, you know, maybe it is a good time to go back and deconflict, make sure that the legislation that we do have for information technology is really the most modern words that recognize the way technology gets delivered today and the way that, you know, I'll say IT modernization works best when it stays ahead of the pace of technology. So how are you encouraging you know, the right IT solutions that take advantage of cloud and consumption-based buying, and how do you make sure that you have an empowered information technology leader at the agency that's actually, I'll say, not just a seat at the table, but has a voice at the table for making these big business decisions and, and driving the improvement of mission outcomes. So all those things might be a great thing for Congress to go look at, you know, time to tidy up the legislation. CFOs, chief financial officers, have a very succinct piece of legislation around their work, and Perhaps it's time for information technology leaders to have that, too. But having said all that, I'll say, you know, even with the exact wording of the Section 809 panel's words about do away with CCA, DOD still has ample legislative and executive branch authority to have a fully empowered CIO that's helped drive in information technology change. And as you know, even more recently, uh, last year's NDAA, re-elevated the CIO to a Senate-confirmed political appointment, which it had been downgraded from several years ago. Dave, let's walk that back for a second in terms of the CIO within DOD. You, you had the pleasure of serving in, in multiple roles within DOD, but the two ones that I want you to kind of reflect on is as principal deputy CIO. So you got to see Klinger Cohen up front, and then you also got to serve as, uh, I think, deputy, at least acting deputy CMO, chief management officer, and that's a whole different hat you had to wear. How does Klinger Cohen impact both those roles? Maybe start with the as principal deputy CIO. What was the Klinger Cohen impact for you in that position? Back in those days, which were pre-Fatara, right, that the Clear Cone Act was very important because, you know, it was a recognition that in industry, CIOs were driving effective results. And, and that sort of emphasis and attention was important for the Department of Defense and the rest of the federal agencies, both in my time at DOD and on the Federal CIO Council. And so, so I think that, you know, this rising up of the importance about how technology was becoming embedded everywhere, and you had to have the technology voice at the table, along with the acquisition leader and the chief financial officer to help drive decisions, was very important. Now, having said all that, I, I think that the wording in the 809 report about, you know, the compliance-based checklist for Clinger Cohen, did that really, you know, was that really the lever of power that helped, you know, galvanize the ability of the CIO to be involved in decision-making? And I, and I would say no. The compliance checklist tended to be 
you know, sort of performa. Maybe that's too strong a word, but it, but they, they tended to always happen at the end. And so the much more important thing was to be involved in the decisions early on, in the development of requirements, in having a seat at the budget table, and being involved in the acquisition process early on to help make sure the technology efforts were being launched in the right direction. When I fast forward then to being involved in the CMO world, you know, that's another new manifestation. And so you now have a you know, a person who's the number three person in the department completely focused on delivering business results. And so this opens up another door about how can you have the senior technology leader and the senior business change leader be partnered together so that we're not just viewing IT in isolation, but we're actually viewing technology as a lever about how you get mission results, which frankly is the way we live the rest of our lives. Let me go back to the your CIO as principal deputy CIO. How challenging was Clinger Cohen? Do you feel like it added these layers and layers and layers of requirements that just slowed down and stopped you as as someone in the IT world from from delivering on that mission? My sense was that the Clinger Cohen Act was a good authority to have, but the power of the Clinger Cohen Act was that the agency had had to care about information technology and had to have a senior official that was going to do that as their full-time job. And that person had a say about how the the massive IT budget at a place like the Department of Defense was being spent and had a say in how the workforce was going to be developed for the future and had a say in how IT systems were being deployed. And all those things were really powerful. I, I think that the, you know, the specifics that the 809 panel is guiding, is driving towards about the clear cone compliance checklist. I don't feel like that was the key enabler, and I don't think that that helped speed up acquisition at all, right? And so I think, you know, it's important to sort of detach the thing that the 809 panel wants to get rid of, which is, you know, paper-based compliance checklists, frankly, have driven some CIOs to become compliance people rather than business change people. And so, so, you know, so it's sort of an important distinction to make that uh, if you layer on additional paper-based reporting requirements, you're going to slow down your ability to deliver technology solutions more rapidly. And separate that from the importance of having an information technology leader who's engaged in the conversations of the organization around how to use technology to deliver the mission and deliver services to the citizen. Interestingly, while some federal agency CIOs have sort of fallen into, I'll say, that compliance trap, if you look at the private sector, you see CIOs becoming more and more important to organizations because they're in the midst of the leading change in the adoption of digital and the adoption of new technologies and, and integrally part of the corporate strategy process. And, and when that happens, I mean, industry says, you know, the CIO continues to be a really important and relevant job. And I think if you allow your CIO to just become your compliance checker, then, of course, it's not adding much value, and it doesn't need to be a senior position, and it's not going to help drive the outcomes of the organization. So instead of being a compliance checker, the CIO could potentially automate all those compliance and then just do the one final checkoff, but really fill the role you're talking about, which is being the senior leader, uh, leading change, bringing in new technology as part of corporate strategy. That That's the role that more CIOs want to be, and I think more CIOs are. So is this a matter of not getting rid of Clinger Cohen, but carving off those pieces of Klinger Cone and, you know, A, adding it to something like Vitara or the CIO Authorities Bill that Congressman Hurd is pushing through that really focuses on the federal CIO but could be added to, the, to all CIOs. And so, I mean, I think, number one, you know, the DOD team would say, you know, we have an acquisition process, and, and that includes meetings at the right 
points in time to make decisions about how things work. And, you know, if we have our information technology leader there, you know, then we don't have to have an overlay of compliance just for the CIO. And so we don't need like a separate check-in at some point in time. CIO should be involved in the process throughout, right? And so I think, you know, integrate the information leader into your processes of your agency is a crucial point that Fatara, for example, was trying to drive at that sort of seat at the leadership table. Now, having said all that, I do feel that oftentimes federal agencies find it easier to create new chiefs rather than to deal with a dissatisfaction about the organization of a current chief. So setting around chief data officers and chief technology officers and the role of the CISO and innovation officers, I think is a continuing reflection of the fact that information technology has huge promise and power, but we're not satisfied with how we're managing technology inside of our agencies. And so perhaps it's a time to like peel that back and look at you know, what do you really need? What are you really looking for? Is your, is your, is you, do you have an information leader who's able to help drive the adoption of new technologies to help modernize your agency? And if not, how can you fix that set of, um, you know, how you have the organization and the, individual, the right individual in the job and the right set of responsibilities? And frankly, that doesn't require any new statute. But to your, to your other point, I think it is a good time to do a little house cleaning and try to, like, make a 21st century set of provisions that really will help drive the implementation of technology and apply to both DOD and the rest of the civilian side of government. All right, Dave, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for your insight. It's always a pleasure. My guest has been Dave Winnegren, a managing director of Deloitte Consulting. Dave, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to be with you, Jason. We have to take a break. Today, we're focusing on the Clear Cohen Act and the Section 809 panel recommendations. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, we're focusing on the Clear Cohen Act and the Section 809 panel recommendations. In this segment of the show, I talked to Mark Foreman, a former Hill staffer who helped write the Clear Cohen Act and the first administrator of e-government and IT at OMB. Mark is now vice president and global head of public sector for Unisys. What was your initial reaction when you saw the 809 panel and started to see some of the, the discussions about it and their recommendation? What was your first reaction or what were some thoughts that went through your mind? Boy, I better read the report and see what the content looks like, uh, which I did. My uh, intuition is to understand why they want exemption and what exactly they want to do differently. And so let, let's set aside the Clean Cone Act as a, a title in and of itself and talk about some of the, the best practices in IT management and how that has shifted. So we know procurement is always part of this, but one of the big initiatives that we tried to accomplish in the, all the procurement reforms really all the procurement reforms of the 1990s, was a shift away from looking at how you buy IT or how you buy major capital assets as uh, the procurement being at the front end and the bulk of the problems occur during program management or during the contract administration phase. So if you merely think that you change the procurement laws at the front end, or you were trying to do something to affect procurement by exempting from the clear cone, kind of misses the point of the need to bring, bring best practices into IT management. Now, the report makes a good point that things have shifted, that we no longer are buying capital assets, but we're really buying 
IT as a utility, as a service. And out of that comes a couple key things. Number one, Clinger Cone was focused on better capital asset planning, treating IT as an asset, as an investment, and tying that investment to business results. So that's changed, and, and it's fair that that needs to be updated. And whether it's Clinger Cone or the 5000 series, the regulations that oversee the whole acquisition process have to take into account now that we're no longer buying a capital asset. We're buying the ability to process information, and we need to be able to do different things with the information. The information today is not just a document or it's not just a set of numbers. It's video. It's so many different dimensions of media. So there's still a need to have that focus on, on program management. And the thing that hasn't changed, again, whether Clear Cone is right or, or not, the real issue is that the Defense Department and other agencies have to figure out what's the project, what, what I'm actually going to do to take advantage of these new types of technology. Cloud is really just a sourcing. It's the mega shared service. And the Defense Department has always been at the forefront of taking advantage of shared services. They had DISA and DFAS before any of the other agencies had really thought about coming together across silos. So you kind you of trust that the Defense Department can figure this out as well as any government agency. And so, again, I don't think it's, it's about keeping the law. It's about understanding how to shift the management practices to the best approach for taking advantage of, of today's IT. One big complaint that I heard at the 809 panel rollout was around the compliance that Klinger Cohen seemed to institute and this idea that CIOs and others were kind of hampered by this checklist mentality of, okay, well, Klinger Cohen says I have to fill, fill out my CPIC, my you know different forms, and then I have to do X and I have to do Y, and then that's going to delay and delay and delay. But to me, that's not a problem with the law. That's a problem with the process itself. And I think that's what you kind of were getting to is regardless of what the law says, it sounds to me like you're saying DOD and all agencies really need to rethink their processes and, and then just kind of apply those processes in the spirit and the intent of any law, whether it's Clinger Cohen, Fatara, eGov, or whichever. Right. It, it's just so easy for any government organization to force compliance with a, a process. Now, the CPIC process that underlied Klinger Cohen, like I said, is, is kind of outlived its, its entity as it exists. But you still need to do an analysis of alternatives. You still need to have an alignment between what you're spending your money on for IT and what you're trying to achieve from a strategic standpoint. What shifted, and this is kind of the pendulum over time for IT, is that we now need to focus more on how we're managing and leveraging information and how we get more value out of the information. And we don't need to focus so much on what technology we're buying, what version of technology we're buying. There is one procurement issue that's caught up in this, and I think the Section 809 panel makes very clear that this needs to be addressed. Uh, a number of us have been talking about it for a while. The federal procurement laws really are focused on uh, a reimbursement of labor hours at the heart of most IT spend. And the shift to buying IT as a service is you're buying some outcome. 
its storage at certain levels or its processing throughput at certain levels. It may even be that you're you're buying a quality of management advice from uh, an HR system or some other SaaS application. Uh, it may be that you're getting a targeting result out of the system. So you're no longer focusing on, on buying the capital asset and all the IT services it takes to buy that asset. You're focusing on a different type of IT service that's not people-oriented, and the procurement laws haven't made that shift yet. I think that's an interesting point that you talk about the, the, this procurement issue. Does this tag back, or does this kind of build off of what the, the legislation we've seen over the last you know, 15, 20 years? Again, Klinger Cohen, e-government, and then Fatara, FISMA, that, that all of those have reinforced this process problem or, or this process challenge, or is this more of a newer process challenge as the cloud has become more accepted and more and more widely used? It is a new challenge in, in the shift from building your own custom application to buying IT as a service. I would say the litany of laws that you talked through, uh, even going back to Competition and Contracting Act, all were based upon kind of a time and materials. And, and even if they were firm fixed price, the basis of estimates still went back to time and materials as opposed to uh, a performance-based approach. Performance-based contracting started to get at this, but it didn't, I think, envisualize, uh, I shouldn't say envisualize, envision uh, buying IT as a, an actual subscription-type service. And so th- that there, there really has been no provision in the procurement laws that recognizes that we're now buying IT as a service. Similarly, if you look at the contract administration laws, there's no real provision for that, but at least there are practices that have built up over the last 10 or 15 years that if your service level quality didn't meet what was specified in the contract, you'd have to reimburse or or get a penalty or you wouldn't get your bonus payment. So the contract administration provisions were a little further ahead than the actual procurement laws themselves. And then uh, program administration, as uh, the 809 panel puts out, uh, there's a lot more training that needs to be done now around how do you actually do program management when you're setting up a, a service. The report talks about application rationalization. And I think you know down the list of laws that you mentioned, that's a missing link. Uh, application rationalization we've always had, but it, it was built around enterprise architecture and uh, shared services in those prior laws. So uh, so that's another change, you would say, from what Clinger Cohn had to what you'd want to see today from a best practices point. All right, Mark, that was excellent. Thank you so much for your time. This is all, all, always very insightful, always uh, educational. Let me thank Mark Foreman, the Vice President and Global Head of Public Sector for Unisys. Mark, always great to catch up. Thanks, Jason. It's always great to talk, and this is such an important topic. I, I appreciate you reaching out to me. That's all the time we have for today. This show focused on the Klinger Cohen Act and Section 809 panel recommendations. You heard it from Dan Chenock, Bill Greenwald, Dave Winogren, and Mark Foreman. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 